Uh, Tertullian was one of the early church fathers. He was one of the um, the many African scholars and church leaders in the, in the early centuries. And Tertullian uh, is re- remembered for for a statement that he made. He, it was a statement that he made describing the church as he saw it, and describing as the church uh, as as he thought it, it needed to be seen. Um, he said, when those who are not in the church see the people who are in the church, they say, look at how much they love one another. And he said that in, in the persecutions that were beginning and that he anticipated, that although there would not be this kind of love among those who are not Christ followers, it was critical that there would be that kind of love among Christ followers because those on the outside, he said, would 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 find themselves drawn uh, to the statement and, and drawn to the observation, even though we bring pressure against them, even though we bring hatred against them. Look how much they love one another. So as we continue to make our way through the the various directions that love in motion will take. Uh, remember that we thought, first of all, about our love for God. Um, that's the love we have for God and also the love that God has for us. We also thought last week about the love of self. We asked the question, is it okay to love yourself? And we tried to understand in a biblical way um, something that would be of, of help to us in our psychological well-being as as well as our spiritual well-being. And then we come today to this one, which which is really the most familiar to us in the Bible, I think, which is the injunction that we have to love one another. We're going to talk about that before we move to the next one, which is the love of neighbor. And it could well be that learning the love for one another that we are told about in the New Testament will absolutely be the prerequisite for loving our neighbors. Again, if we know how to love one another, maybe we will be learning in sort of the lab of the church, the lab of the Christian community, how to put that in practice with those that are our neighbors. And so we won't forget our neighbors. Um, the, the love of neighbor is the second of the two great commandments. And so, of course, we're called to that. But maybe a place to start is to start at home and to talk about the love that we are to have for one another. So I want to take you to two verses, really, that um, are, are very plain, um, ordinary verses, if you like, in, in the matter of, of loving one another. So First of all, we have the Lord Jesus, who on more than one occasion said something like this. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So, so there's the first of it. And, and in another place, Jesus said, and, and yet I'm not giving you a new commandment. It's, it's not a new commandment, and yet it is a new commandment. But here he says that when the world sees the love that we have for one another, they will believe in Jesus. He, he says a similar thing when he's praying to the Father in John 17. He prays that 
um, that we will be one so that the world will believe. So there's something very unique about the character of those members of the family of God in the church uh, that has to do with our love for one another. It's, it's not just a good thing, not just a lovely thing, you know, not just a comfortable thing, but it really is a critical thing for there to be um, forensic love for one another that is remarkable, both to those who are inside and to those who are outside, to the point that Jesus claims that when people see that, they will believe about him. And when people see the binding of our unity together, they will believe in him. So if those are to be expected, then we also should expect an incredible onslaught of um, the enemy's attacks who will try to frustrate our love for one another because if these are the expectations that Jesus articulated, then the enemy will have taken careful notice of that and thought, well, if I stop them from loving one another, maybe I'll stop those expected results. So Satan has been at work to try to stop Christians from loving one another. And, you know, sad to say we're able to notice that and say, yeah, you know what? Unfortunately, if you want to see a group of people that seem really good at fighting each other or seem really good at seeming to dislike each other, maybe to hate each other, the church is a good place to start if you want to see that. So we have to say, well, that ought not to be, that that will not be in the community of, of the family of God. So another place that we find some instruction about this in the New Testament is from Peter. And you may remember Peter had his own journey about love, and he he certainly speaks with authority because he's the one that had the great conversation with Jesus um, by the shore of the lake about love and about whether Peter loved Jesus and whether Peter was showing his loyalty to Jesus and even his loyalty to his friends in the whole um, foray um, in, in the arrest of Jesus. Well, now way later on, as Peter is an old man in the church, he says this, He says, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And here, Peter sort of uses um, Paul's MO and uses really extreme language. He, He uses two words for love, and he says, you must show sincere love as brothers. So he uses the philae word and says, first of all, I want to tell you, you have to show sincere love, the kind of brotherly love that is is encapsulated by, by the word philae. And then he says, love each other deeply. And the verb that he uses there is the agape word. And so he's, he's kind of taking a, a full sweep and saying, this love that you have to have for one another, it's the love like brotherly love. It is also the deep, committed love like agape love, like God's love. 
and then sort of um, as, as the the lid of of the sandwich is at the start. He says you have to show sincere brotherly love. Like sincere is exactly what it appears to mean. It's it's unfeigned. It's it's a, a word from the word of the, from the world of theater, and said when you are practicing this kind of love for one another, it, it will not be pretend. Um, it will not be surfacy. It will it will not be sort of words, but not from the heart. It it will not be the kind of of double speak that sometimes we engage in with one another. It will be sincere. That when I talk about my love for you and when I show my love for you, there'll be no ulterior motive. It, it will not be love that that you know has a whole lot of baggage that comes along with it. And then at the other end, the other part of the, of the lid of the sandwich is that he says you should love each other deeply. So uh, again, that's that's just really pushing this to the limit and saying in, in this kind of loving relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, it'll be like the brotherly love and it will be without any hypocrisy, without any duplicity, and it will be sincere, or some translations call it fervent. It'll be that kind of love that, that penetrates, that soaks deep into um, your hearts and into your, your emotions. So Peter says, because you have become followers of Christ, this has to be the mark. You have to commit yourself to this kind of brotherly love, to this kind of committed love. It has to be real, and it has to be deep. So, um, you know, we're not left with, with any negotiation on this. Jesus has said, this is critical as a mark of your followership. Peter is saying, this is critical as an expression of your obedience to Christ. If you really have come to know Christ, this will be the way you will relate to one another. So as I thought about this, I thought, how, how do we um, sort of dig into this a little bit and, and try to understand what it would look like? And it felt to me as though a way to paraphrase it may well be to say, that we should love each other deeply, fervently, is a way that another translation has it. But maybe we can substitute the the words like family, and and say, all right, in in whatever way family should be family to itself, the church should be family to itself. Now Mary's already shown us that sometimes family is the worst place to find all of this, but it is also the place where we really expect family love and loyalty to be. We, we should be able to uh, understand that because we're family, there are things we do and there are things that we don't do. There are extremes that we go to because we're family. So when you're family, um, there are ways that you will relate to one another. Uh, and if we can look at a few of those and, and kind of just slip them over and say, well, what if the church 
have the same kind of expectation that you do within a family and really practiced it with one another. Well, would that be what Peter seems to be calling for? I think it is. When Peter says it, it is just like family, it, it, it's like brotherly love. And it is this committed love that comes at a cost, um, that is dependable. It is this kind of love, sincerely shown, radically shown, that should show up in the church. So as I think about that, let me just run few, or run through a, a few observations about family. And I, I think they will be self-evident as far as family is concerned. But maybe they're not as, as self-evident for the relationships that we have with one another within the church. We might be want to say, well, yeah, okay, if, you know, if, if you're brothers, you can maybe have that kind of relationship. But you can't have that with other people that aren't your blood brothers. And we should maybe check that and say, well, wait a minute. That may be exactly the kind of relationships we're supposed to be having. If we are to have the impact on our own lives, on our own community, and on the world around us. Because it needs to be radical in order for the world to say, hmm, what is that? To remark on that. Not to dismiss the church as though it's like any other organization or any other gathering of human beings. But to say there's something that actually is way more like it is inside a family than it is inside a club or inside a, a business or whatever else they might compare us to. So let, let me go, go through a few of these. When you're a family, love is unconditional. Now, we actually find out that that, that needs to be worked at within our families because sometimes we do make our love conditional in the family. Um, our children may presume that we're offering conditional love when we seem to be saying to them, if you'd only do this or if you'd only be like this, and they may hear us saying, if you were like this or would do this, then I would love you. And as parents, we, we sometimes catch ourselves on and say, I think maybe I am communicating that to them. And I have to stop that. I mean, I, I have to stop with if you would only get more A's on your report card because it sounds to my kids as though I'm saying, I would love you if you got more A's. When the truth is, if we are good parents, and if our family is what it ought to be, love is unconditional. Love does not depend on how a person performs. It's not love if, um, it's not love because, or, or, or not love when. It, it really is this commitment um, by which our children know that they are loved no matter what, no matter what they do, no matter what they might do, no matter what fears we have for them, uh, no matter w w what ways in which they are disappointing us with the choices that they're making, still the love within a family is unconditional. It's, it says no matter what, I love you. I will love you. And of course, the love that God has for us shocks us because we realize that God loves us that way. That God loves us 
knowing everything about us. And you know, as well as parents know their kids. And usually it needs to get to the point that your kids have grown up and tell you the truth about what they did when you didn't know. But no matter, God has known everything about us from before we were born. He knew about every day of our lives. He knew about everything that we would do that we should not do or everything that we would not do that we should do. And his love for us at every juncture was always unconditional. His love is not, if you will stop doing that, I will love you. Or if you will start doing that, I will love you. Imagine that, that that God who knows, he knows all the stuff you will do. And it doesn't qualify his love for you. He doesn't say, well, I should put that out of my mind and pretend he won't do that. He doesn't. He knows every day. He knows the number of days. He knows what will occupy those days. And while he works by his spirit to change us, to make us more and more like Christ, all the while he does it um, preoccupied with love for us. Love is unconditional. So in the church, we would have to ask, if, if it's to be remarked, Man, look how much they love one another. One of the tests would be that we love one another without conditions. And, and when we think about that, we would have to say, boy, that is really hard to do. Because even unconsciously, I begin to put con- conditions on my love for, for people even in the church. And in the, in the church, it's easier than in the family to sort of set someone aside and write them off and and actually to put an unspoken condition which says if you had not done that or if you had not been that I would have accepted you I would have loved you um, we we can parcel people away we, we can you know conveniently forget folks that were once part of us because of something they've done and yet God would say, I don't ever do that. Um, I, I was at a, a Promise Keepers uh, conference w- one time several years ago, and, and the theme of that conference was leave no man behind. So it was a military thing where they were saying when you're in battle, um, if, if the battle is on and someone is left behind, they will, you'll always come back for that person. Uh, and you know that would be sort of an, an evidence of of this unconditional love that no matter what someone has done we would come back for them and say we wrote you off and we shouldn't have because we have made our love for you conditional and god's love for us is not that way the love for brothers and sisters is not that way in the best of human families but certainly in god's family it will not be that way so when your family, love is unconditional. Another one is that when your family, love gets you on the calendar. You know, that first one was a little heavy, so this one is not so heavy. Annabeth is a calendar person. Um, she, hates compu- she hates computers anyway. But she, she hates, you know, a calendar on the computer. I, I try to 
get everything on the computer and she won't have it. I set her up and she isn't interested because every year she gets a calendar. In fact, every year for the last number of years, our kids have given her a calendar with all kinds of family pictures on there um, month by month. So it's a lovely thing. The point is, Annabeth's calendar is, is filled with people. It's filled with all of their birthdays. It's filled with all of their work schedules. It's, it's, it's filled with their lives Be- because that's a mother's love for her family, right? Well, within the church, are we on one another's calendars? You know, to the extent that, that we remember how things are in people's lives and what's going on in people's lives. Do we remember as, as carefully as we do about our family members when it's someone's birthday or anniversary or uh, when they're scheduled for surgery or uh, you know, when things are happening in their lives? Is there somebody within the family, the brothers and sisters of Christ, who says, I remember you were going to go for that test on that day. Did, did you go? And as, as important as it is for our kids to know that Annabeth has their birthday circled on her calendar, so important is it for those who are our brothers and sisters to get a little phone call or a note or a, a text that says, I know this was happening. How did it go? Um, love gets you on the calendar. So does it. In, in terms of our family relationships with brothers and sisters, even here at Southside. When your family, um, love is a night or day sort of thing. We as Canadians are terribly polite and terribly um, unobtrusive. We, you know, we hate to bother people, right? And that's kind of nice, but you hate to bother people. You know, you, you think, oh, it's, you know, it's too late. I can't call now. Or you know, they have other things on their mind. I can't call now. Well, when it's family, it doesn't matter whether or not it's the middle of the night. When a need arises, it'll be a phone call that says mom or dad or to a brother or a sister. And, and no one within family will say, do you know what time it is? Well, well maybe they will. It may have been a parent who gets a phone call and says, I need to ride home. The parent may say, do you know what time it is? But not really, because a good parent will get out of bed and will go. In fact, you know, some parents would talk about promising their kids that if they get in trouble, no matter what they've done, no matter what time they call, the parent will drive and pick them up, you know, no explanation, no excuses, uh, and all the rest. Many, many years ago, I had a phone call in the middle of the night from one of my family members. It was my sister. And she said, what, what date was it? September. October 7th. She said, a voice on the phone said, what are you doing October 7th? So I said, I don't know, and I hung up. And oh, then she went on, she said, I said, nothing. She said, will you marry me? I said, oh, so I hung up with her. Annabeth said, who, who was that? And I said, I think it was some drunk girl at a party who just asked me if I would marry her. And I don't know if Annabeth gets regular revelations, but this time she did, and she said, 
I bet that was Jennifer, your sister. And I quickly called back. The phone was busy. Phoned my dad. She was on the phone with my dad and or had been on the phone. And, and my dad said, well, you just hung up on Jennifer. She was asking you to, to officiate at her marriage. Um, she had every right to call me in the middle of the night. I was, you know, she should have understood that I was sound asleep and wouldn't make any sense to her. But, but it was it was what she thought she should do uh, for family. There's no day or night. There's 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 no time that's inconvenient. And in in our lives, I think there there's certain people that we know that no matter what happens when, you could call them. And that is a really good characteristic. That, that's a wonderful comfort to know that if, if trouble should come, all you have to do is pick up the phone. And that that person will not resent you having reached out to them. In fact, that person will consider it an honor that you have thought that you could call them and could bother them. So, so love... In, in a family is a night or day sort of thing. And we would just say, well, of course. I mean, what kind of family would say, don't call me after 10 o'clock? Families would not be like that. But if, if we just slip it over to the church and say, well, if we are to be this remarkable community of people, it ought to be like that. That there's nothing that would cause us to hesitate to reach out to someone in this family and say, I, I need help, or I need something from you, whatever it is. We'll go a little bit farther. When your family, love is a nosy kind of thing. And again, Canadians are not particularly nosy. Um, except some are. Do you, do you remember how nosy Nora was? She's with Jesus now, so... She can poke her nose in everything she wants to. But before we came to Southside, uh, Annabeth and I came here on a Sunday because we were talking, but nobody knew who we were or whatever. So we came, we came late, and we sat at the back until Nora spotted us. And she came over, and she, she looked at us. And you know how she did? She would sort of turn her head and look at us and say, no, who are you? And where are you from? And we said, well, we're from Kitchener. Well, why would you come here to church from Kitchener? <laughs> and I, I, you know, we weren't going to say who we were, but, you know, it was kind of uncomfortable because this woman seemed to be relentless. She was going to poke her nose into our business. You know, that's what family's like, right? If you're family, you say, okay, what's going on? You don't politely notice somebody's having trouble or somebody's angry or somebody's sad. You poke your nose in because you're family. And if if we're family, we poke our nose into another's business. Now, within limits, just like it is with family, and all of the same rules would apply. But still, um, are we reluctant to be nosy? in our relationships with one another? Or, or do we get to just ask the question about what's going on? You know, m- many times I think we're way more open to sharing 
then then we will initiate. So we, we kind of long for somebody to ask how we are. But when nobody does, then we, we don't find a way to express it. We, we just let it pass. Or if, if there's not that kind of propensity to be kindly nosy, um, we may not want people to be asking because we're not sure what they'll do with what they find out. So there has to be that incredible level of trust that is also characteristic of, of family. Just a few more. When you're family, you put up with one another, right? Because you can't get rid of family. You might wish that that guy's not your brother, but he is. You might wish you had a different sister, but you don't. You might wish for you know, the all-American family, the perfect family, and you don't have it. It doesn't matter. You have to put up with one another. That is an, an actual injunction from Scripture, forbearing with one another in love, which simply means putting up with one another. When your family, you get to talk about that. You get to say, you know what, you're a pain in the neck, or, or other idiomatic ways to express yourself, right? You, you get to say that because it's it may be true. And then, you know, someone might say back, well, why, why do you call me a pain in the neck? I think you're a pain in the neck, especially it's boys. I mean, that's going to go on pretty regularly. But you, if you're family, you put up with one another. You know, at the right time, you, you say, let's, let's, you know, have a little scuffle about this. But you put up with one another. You don't, turn around and head the other direction when you see the person coming. You don't say, oh, she always is like this. Uh, you put up with one another. And God is very thoughtful in how he has organized the church. Because I don't know any church that doesn't have some people in it that need putting up with. Right? Um, Howard Hendricks was a, a great teacher and writer and he said where there are light where there's light there are bugs so if if it's a church and there's light there're going to be bugs and there are going to be people that need putting up with but if we're family we'll do it we will not make it so obvious to them that they're not welcome or they're not being put up with so that they'll move on to somewhere else where they may be put up with because when you're family Love is a forbearing sort of thing. When your family love risks hard conversations, right? Sometimes you need to have those heart-to-heart -heart talks inside a family. In fact, you better have those kinds of talks inside your family if you want your family to be well. You don't want to let things fester. You, want, you don't want to let things grow apart or people to grow apart in, in your family. Um, so you will risk a hard conversation. The wonderful thing about family is that you can't be disowned or you shouldn't be disowned. So if, if we press hard into one another's lives with hard conversations, we ought already to have made the commitment to one another that said, nothing you will talk to me about will, will make me go away. Or nothing that I want to talk with you about is to make you go away. 
So um, while it may be awkward, uh, it is critical that in family we have hard conversations when they're called for. And when churches split apart or when people split apart within churches, it's often because there has not been either the willingness or the safety in which hard conversations can be held. And and where ought to be the, the place that is safest for hard conversations, if not the church? Right? Because we are people who have learned about grace and mercy because we've been overwhelmed by it. Um, so why should this not be a place where it's okay to have hard conversations about things? Um, about things we disagree about. Not to sort of politely keep our distance, but to say, this is this is worth talking about. This is There's truth in here that needs to be unearthed. Um, there may be matters of character in here that need to be surfaced, and this is a safe place to do it. So if you feel like you're, you're heading into one of those hard conversations and you're filled with dread, that's a bad sign. Um, if you're filled um, with a sense of you know, kind of being gripped by something being serious and solemn, that's good. But you need to trust that when you get into that conversation, the people who are having that conversation with you love you. Um, Paul in, in Galatians says, if someone's overcome in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him. The church is lousy at restoring people. It's really good at expelling people. When we catch somebody doing something wrong or believing something wrong, we can write them off really quickly. But the church needs to be a safe place and a restoring place. Um, and all of that means that when you're family, of course, you have hard conversations. Do you know a family that has never needed to have a hard conversation? But a hard conversation that is built on the foundation of unconditional love. It says no matter where this conversation goes, it will not change the love that we have for each other because it's family love and it's agape love. It, it's, it's the love that Jesus expected to show up in his church. The last one is really obvious. When your family love demands forgiveness, and as Mary said, in, in a family, that's sometimes the hardest place to be willing to forgive. And yet it is absolutely required that when someone asks for your forgiveness in a family, you say, of course, you're forgiven. In, in fact, it, it often comes in the delight of someone realizing something and, and confessing it or you know, admitting it. And when that happens, do you say, well, I don't believe you? Well, you might be prone to be that way, but you're not allowed to be if you're a family and, and you're God's family. When someone asks for forgiveness, we have no right to withhold forgiveness. 
We've no right to withhold forgiveness in our, in, our, in our little families. And we have no right to withhold forgiveness in the family of God. Uh, whether the person is sincere or understands, it's all, it's all God's business, not ours. Uh, our business is not to be judge and jury and not to hold over someone um, something that looks like it's a grip of, of unforgiveness on our part and and that it's not a safe place in which the person actually confesses and gets ready to change. Should should the church be more like a family? Absolutely. Is the church always like a family? Well it's not. In in many of these areas we just we don't go there. And yet, Jesus says, but don't you understand how important it is that the way you relate to one another is by brotherly love, brotherly, sisterly love, and deep, committed love, like the love of God. And, and don't fake it. And be fervent about it. So, like, go over the top about this. Because it matters. Love um, is in motion. But it is in motion. It must always travel. It can never stay in one place. To love one another in the community of believers called the church is not something we say or put on our mission statement or you know, the, the doorway to the building. It's something that is is in motion all the time. Loving one another will mean some things in our relationships with one another today and this week and as time goes on. Because love just doesn't stay there. It moves. And so we have to let it move from us to one another in a way that glorifies the Lord Jesus. In a way that somehow causes people who come in or who notice to say, wow, there's something different in there. The love, it's, it's not just words. They really do seem to love one another. And God says thumbs up to that. That's right. That's right. God bless.